1 Samuel chapter number 10. We're going to look at this chapter here and uh, study through really the whole story of this chapter. And I uh, want to remind you that uh, once we get through Easter, we're going to start two new sermon series. One is going to be on Wednesday evenings. Uh, we're going to do that. I didn't want to start this evening. Just I knew people were traveling and with Awana not in, there'll be some people missing here this evening. Um, but I want to start a series. We're going to go uh, verse by verse and uh, really study chapters at a time in the book of Exodus. And that is probably going to be about 11 or 12 week study of the book of Exodus. How many of you have been in a Bible study in the book of Exodus before? Several of you, good, good amount of you have. We're going to uh, look through that. What a, what a great, interesting book. There's a lot there we're going to dig into. And my goal is we want to look at Christ in every chapter. We want to see Christ in every chapter in the book of Exodus. So we're going to take a unique uh, look at that. And then on Sunday mornings, I'm going to begin a series here. Uh, in the next couple weeks, I'm going to begin a series, Living Courageously in Prophetic Times. Now, how many of you, you believe we're living in prophetic times? I mean, my, oh, my, if you just, just watch the news, it gets exciting. You know, when all of, the, all of the political stuff was going on, I just got tired of the news, and I turned it off. Then I turned it back on, and I found out I just recently, um, uh, yesterday or the day before, they say that China is moving its army toward the West, getting on the border of North Korea. The United States, they're moving their Navy vessels up to the peninsula there. <clears throat> At the same time, Russia and Iran in Syria, they are really forming that league that, that, uh, between those, through those three states. Turkey, if you study Turkey, Turkey is a Muslim country. But Turkey, they say, is being overtaken by radical Muslims. Now, it's... In the middle of all of this that's going on, there's a little tiny country called Israel. How many of you have heard of Israel? <laughs> yeah. Boy, the Lord, you could see, you could see how this is setting things up. It's interesting. It's almost like they're reading end times prophecy, and that's what the news highlights are on the news. They're reading them through. All of these things are setting the stage for an antichrist. You know, they're yelling, peace, peace. But you know what? They're not going to find any peace. But there's going to be an antichrist that is going to come, and he's going to say, I can give you peace, and he's going to bring peace. He's going to try to establish peace then with Israel, and he's going to, in effect, really fool Israel. And we're going to find that then the latter three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be great, great tribulation upon this earth. Now, I'm glad I'm not going to be here during those, days, those seven years of tribulation. But, unfortunately, there's going to be people that are. And I want to preach this message on Sunday mornings to give us, to give us an understanding, obviously, of end-time prophecies, but to encourage us, we've got to occupy, we have got to be doing everything we can so the gospel of Jesus Christ is given everywhere. They say this, four billion people, four billion people here on this planet right now have never heard of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Four billion. Now, that sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? That's half of the world's population. There are some 3,000 languages, over 3,000 languages in dialects where people that speak these languages and, and dialects of a, of a, of a uh, language, 
have never had a Bible in their mother tongue. So they wanted to read that God loved them so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They cannot open up a Bible in the language that they can, un, can understand and read it because there isn't one. There isn't one. And so Christian, we've got work to do and so we're going to preach a message about, about end times but I'm going to preach it in such a way that I hope that when we leave here we're challenged to do everything we can so the gospel message gets out and so that people come to know Jesus Christ, all right? Because if we just study it for information, what are we going to do with it? So what? We learn what's going to happen during the tribulation as Christians. We're not going to be here. So it's not for us to learn just so we know what goes on. It's for us to learn so it motivates our heart and, and gives us a passion to be a greater, a greater soul winner. All right, 1 Samuel chapter number 10. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head. His, in, the, in verse number 1, is Saul. Uh, he is being anointed to become king over all of Israel. And we find what's happening here leading up to chapter number 10. We find that uh, 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 Israel is, is displeased with, with um, uh, uh, Eli's sons, and they no longer want to be ruled by, by judges, and, and, and they no longer want to be uh, 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 like... Um, they want to be like every other country, every other nation. They said every other nation has a king, and, and we want a king. And, and Samuel said, you don't know what you're asking for. You're going to ask for a king that's going to take your land, and he's going to tax you, and he's going to take your children, and he's going to take and make you servants. You don't know what you're asking for. And they said, no, we want a king. And God said, I'll give you what you're asking for. And we find in verse number one that there's a man named Saul. Saul is going out to look for his cattle that has been lost, that belongs to his father. It's been a period of time now, and, and they can't find them. And so what they do is they said, Samuel's here in this area. Let's go find Samuel and inquire of Samuel where these are so that we can find what's been lost. And he goes to Samuel, and Samuel then sees that, that Saul is the one that God is going to anoint to be king over Israel. And so we we come to verse number one, it is not because the Lord, or is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today, thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelphad, and they will say unto thee, the, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? So Saul's father, Kish, believes that his son is gone. What he's lost has been returned, but Saul never came home because Saul's out looking for it, not knowing that uh, uh, his father's cattle's been returned. And his father now is, is sorrowing and upset, thinking that he's lost Saul. He says this in verse number three, Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabar, and there shall meet three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids. And so we find one has three children, right? Is that what we'll find there? All right, you'll get that later. And another, those three kids are, are animals, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands, and thou, that thou shalt come to the hill of God. Where is the garrison of the Philistines? 
And it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with psaltery and in tabrets and in pipe and a harp and before them they shall prophesy. And look at with me in verse number six. He says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with them. And look at these next few words and thou and, and shalt be turned into another man. Samuel said to Saul, God has a plan for you. And when this anointing is done, this is what's going to happen. You're going to run into these people, and then you're going to come into the place where, where, where the prophets are prophesying, and, and you're going to begin because you're going to become someone else. God has a specific plan for your life, and he's going to turn your heart. In verse number 8, And let it be when these signs are come unto thee that thou do on occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Thou shalt go down before me in Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he returned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. So God changed the heart of Saul. God put in the heart of Saul the, the, the uh, ability to do what God has now asked Saul to do or called Saul to do. God desired for there to be a king, and he sought and found Saul. He changed the heart of Saul. He caused him to be someone different. Then we find the next several verses we find where Saul then goes home and in verse number 14, his uncle says, you know, where have you been? And, and, and Saul says, we, we were looking for, for uh, dad's cattle and we couldn't find them. And so we went over and we found Samuel. And, and the Bible says that he told, he told his uncle everything that happened, but he failed to tell him the conversation and the events that just took place with him and Samuel. And then we find where Samuel then brings everyone together. He brings all the tribes together. In verse number 19, And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of, the, out of your adversaries and your tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Saul had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of, of, of uh, Matra was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. When they had sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man uh, should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And so they called everyone together. They called the tribe of Benjamin forward. They, they called the family of Saul forward, and then they wanted Saul to come out of the family, but he wasn't there. And they said, where, where, who is this guy? And the Lord said, the one I'm looking for, he's hiding among the stuff. And so here's Saul. Saul is afraid to come out. He knows what God has called him to do. He knows what God put in his heart. Remember, God changed him. He made him into another man. He knew what the Lord put on his heart to do. He knew what God has called him to do, but Saul is now in a place where he's probably looking at this saying, I can't do this on my own. 
This is too big. This is too much. This kingdom that, that, that God has given me to be a captain of, of his inheritance, verse number one, says this is so great. So Saul finds himself hiding when it's time for him to be revealed as the next king. They ran and fetched him thence, and they knew where he was because God said where he was. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. Now that's an important phrase here this evening. All right? I want you to circle that or take note of that. See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen. Who chose Saul to be the king? Not a trick question. Who who chose Saul to be king? Nice and loud. Who? The Lord. The people didn't choose Saul. The people wanted a king. They weren't rejecting, they were rejecting God saying, we want a man to become the king. God said, that's fine, I'm going to give you a man. And God chose the man. So the word of the Lord came to to Samuel, and this is important for you to get this evening. God said to Samuel, I want you to take and choose this man. God's word, the word of the Lord came and said, this is who I want to become king. Samuel then reiterates that in verse number 24, he says, see ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. And I want you to see that verse as well. We're going to come back to that verse. And just look what the people did. Everyone said, God save the king. They were excited because they finally got what they wanted. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And so in verse number 25, Samuel put in order, this is how the kingdom is going to work. They weren't used to it. They've not, they had no idea what a kingdom looked like when a king was ruling over them. And Samuel said, this is what it's going to look like. And he presented that, he wrote it down, he presented it before the Lord. And then he said, all the people that said, God save the king, then he says to them, now go home. Go home. But in verse number 26, and Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose heart God had touched. I want you to just outline that or take note of that. The Bible says God set together a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. God save the king is what everyone was saying. And then Samuel says, all right, go home. The kingdom's ready. Before they went, when Saul was getting ready to leave, God knew that Saul couldn't do this on his own either. God knew that Saul needed help. So what God did is God said, I'm going to give you some help, Saul. And God put it on the heart of of men here in this chapter that, that they are going to go home with Saul and they were going to help Saul do what? They were going to help Saul perform the duties of the king uh, to, to, to rule over the kingdom that Samuel had just put in order. And then I want you to take note of this. The last verse was this. And then there were some people that were totally against what God was doing. And he said, I'm not bringing anything. No gifts for Saul. 
Now let's rehearse this again real quick. Who chose Saul to be king? The Lord did God. God did. God then put it on the hearts of others to help him do what God has placed on his heart to do. I want to look at this chapter here this evening because I believe this, nobody, nobody can make it on their own. When God gives you something to do, I don't believe anybody can make it on their own. Unfortunately, we have people in this world today that believe that they are better when they are by themselves. But the reality is this, I don't believe that's true when you're going to do something for God. Saul was gifted. If you look with me in the same chapter here, Samuel says this, um, that, that, that the Lord has chosen him in verse number 24. And he says this, and there, that there is none like him among all the people. He said, there's nobody like this man. Saul was gifted to be the king, but certain men knew he couldn't make it by himself. God knew that Saul couldn't make it by himself. So God gifted Saul, and he, he, he caused Saul to become king, but in the same chapter, he also led men to go help Saul so that Saul could accomplish what God put on his heart to do. So if Saul is successful at being king, who should receive the glory? God should receive the glory. Now, side note, what we find was Saul began to be selfish and Saul began to want the credit and Saul began to, to be prideful and Saul began to take the glory that belonged to God and God ended up replacing Saul and saying, I, I'm going to uh, anoint David. He's a man after my own heart. And he put David through, through the, the press so that David was not the same type of man that Saul was. Because when God calls someone to do the work, one of the reasons I believe that God doesn't just let the man do it on his own, because if the man does it on his own, what could happen is this, that man then can receive glory that doesn't belong to him. So God, knowing Saul couldn't do it on his own, not desiring for Saul to do it on his own, then puts it on the heart of others in verse number 26 to help him be successful so that when he's successful, no one man gets the glory, God gets the glory. That's how God does things. That's how God does things in the local church. That's how God does things. He always calls somebody, but then he wants others to be involved so others can do the work that God has placed on their heart to do so God always receives the glory. God always gave someone to help. You know, you can't do in your life all that God wants you to do by yourself. You and I need help. We need help. I believe this, my wife has helped me in many of areas to be better at doing what God has called me to do. I believe that. God always gives you somebody to help you do something greater for him. You know, leaders can't be can't be the leaders that God calls them to be without the help of somebody else. I think of Adam. I want you to consider Adam. You know, Adam was perfect. Could you imagine what a perfect human being looked like? Think about that. Think about what a perfect man looks like. That's what Adam was. 
I mean, there was nothing at all wrong with Adam. He was perfect. His nose was just right. Everything was just right, except his belly button. Adam didn't have a belly button, so that wasn't just right. How many of you knew that? Yeah, okay. But everything else about Adam was just perfect because God created him. Adam was, was without sin. I mean, his, his thoughts were perfect. Everything about him was perfect, but he needed help. He was perfect, but he needed help. God said, it's not good that man be alone. I'm going to give him and help me. And so here comes Eve because God knew that Adam needed Eve to help him. I think of Moses. Moses is probably one of the greatest leaders that you'll find in the Bible and probably even in modern day. If you were to search out all the leaders, you would find where Moses was probably one of the greatest leaders, but Moses could not do it on his own. So God gave Moses what? He gave him an Aaron and gave him a Hur, and, and they helped him raise his hands when they were in battle because Moses couldn't do it on his own. Moses was a fantastic leader, but he needed help. He needed help. I think of David, we would find this David is the man that came in after Saul. David was a great leader, but David, the Bible says that God sent 400 men to David and then 200 men with David, and then in those there were these 30 mighty men, and then, and then there was three that were mighty men of those mighty that helped David. David was one that God was going to use as king, but God brought David help because David couldn't do it on his own. I think Jesus even had 12 apostles. Help him do his earthly ministry. In the New Testament church, what you find is the apostles got to the place where they could not care for the spiritual needs of the church and care for the physical needs of the church. And so you know what happened? They had to call deacons. Even the apostles needed help. Do you remember in Acts where they said that, that uh, the widows aren't being cared for and there's needs that the church has that they're not being done? And the, and the, and the apostles said, but we are giving all of our time to prayer and to the word and, and to studying. So we can't stop what we're doing. And so you know what we need? We need help. And so even in the local New Testament church, God knew that, that the apostles could not take the church where God desired it. So what he said is you've got to bring in deacons to help do the work of the ministry. See, every area that you find when God is trying to do a work, he always, he always brings help along with it. Do you see that this evening? So I want to look at, I don't know, four or five things here, depending on our time. I want to give you several things here about that help. What would the help look like? Saul needed it. Moses needed it. Adam needed it. Jesus had his, his, his apostles. The apostles needed it. This church needs it. You need it. What would that help look like? First thing I want you to write this down is this. The help is always in the minority. Help is always in the minority. You know what I see in 1 Samuel chapter number 10? The entire nation was getting a king. All of Israel. 
All of Israel came. Samuel, however he got the word out, he said, I want all of Israel to come. And here comes all of Israel because all of Israel wanted a king. So all of Israel comes to get their king. And then Samuel presents their king and everyone says, God, save the king. They're all excited. Yay, guess what? We got a king. And then it was, all right, now there's work to be done. Samuel put it all in the book. He wrote it all down. He said, all right, this is what the kingdom looks like. All right, now, now God, this is what we're going to do. And, and he says, all right, everyone go home. And guess what everyone did? They went home. But the Bible says that there was a band of men. There were some men that didn't go home. You know what they say in a church? They say that 80% of the work is done by 20, 20% of the people. It's always that way. Now, everybody wants a church, and everybody wants to say, and everybody wants to be heard, but it always seems like it only comes to sometimes down to a few that actually want to do the work. You know, a lot of times when it comes to the work of God, there's many that are trying to get out of the work of God, and when, when, when what we need is people that want to get into the work of God to do the work of God because God needs people to help. But we always find, and even in 1 Samuel chapter 11, it always seems that it's a minority. There's always in the minority. A whole nation was getting a king, but only a few showed up to help. Everybody was going to benefit. But only a few were going to work. Not only do I find it always seems like the ones that are going to do the work for God are in a minority, also what I find is this. There's a level of faith that's required, and that faith is in the Word of God. That level of faith. This person is going to live by faith according to the Word of God. See, everything in Israel is about to change. Everything. For years, they had, they had been a theocracy, meaning this, that God was in charge, that God was in control, that if God said it, that's what was going to happen. And that's how this nation, this nation doesn't know any other way. They don't know what it's like to be ruled by a king. They came out of Egypt. They came into the wilderness, and, 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 and then they formed that nation where now Moses was leading them into the promised land, and they wandered in the wilderness, and then Joshua brought them in, and, and they, they occupied this land. And from all that time, they always heard from God. God told them, God told them they were going to be delivered out of Egypt. God told them that they were going to go into the wilderness. God told them that they were going to get the Ten Commandments. God told him how to set up the tabernacle. God told him who the judges were going to be. And he spoke through the judges to give them the command. God used the prophets to preach to the people. God told him where they were going to go and where they were going to do. God told him to walk around the walls of Jericho. It was always by the mouth of God. That's how they got their instruction as a country, as a nation. For years, that's all they ever knew. This nation was directed by God. Now, now this is going to become a monarch. It's going to be a monarchy. Now there's no longer is this nation going to be directed by the mouth of God. This nation is now going to be directed by a king, a man. Now it's going to be about what man wants. The program is all about ready to change. And before they were run by a judge and a prophet, now they're going to be run by a king. Saul was going to become king. Samuel was confirming that. 
Samuel got up in front of these people. Now get this, get this point. Samuel gets up in front of the people and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God's word is. God's plan is for Saul to become the king. You didn't choose Saul, God did. God now is going to use Saul to become the king. You may have wanted this, but this is God's doing. This is from the word of the Lord. Listen, when God speaks it, you can guarantee it. And that's what Samuel's saying now. Now, God's word, his word is that Saul is become the king. He is the man that God has for you. And these men, these men had to now trust. These men that the Bible now says that God touched their heart. These band of men that now were going to have to do what Saul now wanted them to do. They had never followed a man before. They never followed a king before. They had never been a part of a monarchy before. They didn't know what a kingdom looked like. But they were willing to step out by faith and be obedient because God's word said, this is what I want done. These men weren't following a man. They did, God did not put it in their heart to follow a man. God put it in their heart to follow his word. And there's a big difference there. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 6 says, without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. These men were pleasing to the Lord. These men were able to be used by Saul because they were exhibiting a level of faith, trusting in the word of God. Now listen to me, faith, faith in the believer. Many people want to, as a Christian, walk by faith. And so what they do is they make a decision, a blind decision, and they say this at times, I hope, I hope, I hope, I believe that God, this is what God wants me to do. I hope this is what God wants me to do. So I'm going to step out by faith and I'm going to trust the Lord. Now if God didn't tell you to do it, my friend, you're not stepping out on faith and you're not trusting him. If I were to step to this, this corner right here and I said, you know what, I'm going to by faith jump off of this, this platform and by faith I'm going to trust the Lord, then I'm not going to break my head. Do you know what would happen right now if I jumped off this platform? Something is going to break. Something. You say, how do you know that? Because that's a long ways down for a, a body out of shape like this. Well, if I trust the Lord, I should be able to jump. Listen, my friend, faith, faith for a believer, faith is this, God's principles of his word says, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to live. God's word gives direction, and a Christian ought to, by faith, step out and say, this is what the word of God says, and therefore, by faith, I'm going to trust his word. The reason why a believer gives, the reason why a believer tithes is, is because the Bible says that those that give, God takes care of, that God blesses. So a believer at the end of every week, even though it doesn't seem like it makes sense, even though a believer thinks that, that they're not quite sure it's going to work, they know that God said, I want you to do this. So they write that check out that belongs to God. And by faith, you know what they're doing? They're trusting that God's word is going to be true. And you could use that at any principle in raising your children, in, 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 in uh, 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 being a husband or a wife or whatever it may be. We take the principles of God's word. When God's word speaks on a matter, we as Christians, by faith, we step out and we believe what the word of God says. That's faith. 
Faith is knowing and hearing the Word of God and then trusting His Word and doing what He tells us to do. And you find these men in verse number 26. These men have no idea what they're getting themselves into. Then why are they doing it? Because God said to. Why are they going to leave everything and follow a man they don't even know? Because God said to. I want you to think about this. Think about Noah. Could you imagine if Noah was your neighbor? You walked out back one day and you saw this old guy with a whole bunch of lumber. What you going to do with the lumber? Build me an ark. A what? An ark. What's an ark? Well, all these animals, every two of every kind, and we're all going to get in this thing. For what? The flood's going to come. A what? A flood. A flood. A lot of water's going to come down. It's going to rain. It's going to what? What are, you, what are you talking about? God said it. Come out the next day. You still at that thing? What was that thing called again? An ark. And what, what were you doing with that ark? It's, um, it's going to flood. You go back in the house. That guy, he's at it again. Now, not a two or three days. Years go by. And now the guy's got ladders and, and pulleys and, 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 I mean, this thing is getting bigger. Now you can't see his house because there's this ark. And you, you go back out and you're like, hey, Noah, Noah, you've been at this thing for like, what, 100 years now? And what's this, what, what is this thing you're doing? I'm building an ark. For what, Noah? It's going to rain. What's rain? It's going to flood. What's a flood? Oh, the earth's going to be filled with water. God's going to judge the earth, and, and all these animals are going to go on the earth and, 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 and or go on the ark, and, and God's going to save us. And, and, and Noah, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Imagine what these friends were saying. Imagine what, what the, the, uh, 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 the kids were having to endure. Your dad's the guy building the ark. Your, your dad's the guy building the ark. You know, what's wrong with that guy? Noah kept at it. Why, why did Noah keep building the ark when no one understood? Why did Noah build the ark when he didn't understand? Why did Noah keep going? The reason why is because Noah had the word of God on it. And when the word of God, when you've got the word of God, you've got to no other choice but to live by faith and do it. At times it makes no sense. At times you can't see it, but you trust God. That's what faith is. God says, I want this done, Noah. And Noah says, I don't know what it looks like. I've never seen seen one before i don't know how to how to how to build one but god i'll trust your word that's faith enoch the bible says he walked with god and was not think about the man named abraham abraham was married to to sarai and God says, I want you to, I want you to change Sarah's name, uh, Sarah's name to Sarah because I'm going to make you a, a great and mighty nation. Now, uh, Abraham couldn't have children, and, and Abraham was getting older. And you know what Abraham did? He changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And you know what the word Sarah means? The word Sarah means this, mother of millions. 
Now, why would you do that, Abraham? Why would you change your wife who can't have children, who, who, who uh, uh, it hasn't given you a child yet? Why would you change her name from Sarai to Sarah when, when Sarah means mother of millions? The reason why is because he got the word of God on it. And when God told him to do it, he by faith trusted in what God was going to do. Sarah can't have one child. How is she going to be the mother of a million children? Because God said she would, that's why. When God says, this is my word and this is what I want done, then God is also looking for somebody that would just simply walk by faith and be obedient and do what God calls him to do. You know what I find about faith? It works all the time. It works everywhere. And it works with everybody. Faith works all the time, it works anywhere, and it works with anybody. You know, you say to somebody, listen, we need a Sunday school teacher, we need a teacher, they might honestly say this, God hasn't given me the gift of, of teaching. Someone might say, you know, we need some people to sing, and you might honestly say this, God has not given me the gift of singing. You might have a gift or a talent that God has given. And somebody, somebody might say, you know what, I don't have that gift. I don't have that talent. I can't teach. I can't sing. I can't do this. I'm not talented. And you know what, they might be accurate. God may have not have given them that gift. But you know what, every single person can do that's a child of God. They can walk by faith. Faith works for all people. It works anywhere. It works for anybody. It works everywhere. Faith is something that every single Christian can do. Why? Because every Christian can say this. If God God's word says that I can live it and walk it. Everybody. If you're not living by faith, it's not because God doesn't want you to live by faith. It's because you choose not to live by faith. If you're not singing, it might be because it's best you not sing up here. If you're not teaching, it might be because it's best you not teach. But if you're not living by faith, that's your choice as a Christian you choose not to do because it works everywhere. It works with everybody and it works all the time. Faith makes the difference in all human history. Now think about that. Think about the things that have changed in human history because somebody stepped out by faith and trusted the word of the Lord. I mean, think about that. Abraham, the Bible says he left the Chaldees because God told him to. And all of the nation of Israel was formed because Abraham, by faith, trusted what? The word of God. Moses led them out of the wilderness or led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Why? Because he trusted the word of God. There was a level of faith. Joshua took them around the walls of Jericho. They're in the land today that they're in because Joshua, by faith, believed what God was doing. He said, guess what? we're going to do we're going to walk around these walls every day for seven days now on the seventh day you know what we're going to do we're going to climb the walls no we're going to put ladders against the wall no we're going to shoot people over the wall no we're going to walk and the walls are going to fall down. And when the walls fall down, we're going to go in and we're going to possess the land. And we're going to possess the houses. And we're going to possess the vineyards. And we're going to possess everything that somebody else built. God's given it to us. How are we going to do this, Joshua? Because of God's word, we're going to have faith. All through human history, you found that faith makes a difference. So write this down, number three. I want you to see in verse number 26 again. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. I want you to see this. 
Number three, if you're going to be that, it may be a minority. It's going to take a level of faith. And this type of man is a man that understands that there is a sacrifice as well. We live in a day where nobody wants to sacrifice anymore. We live in a day of Christianity that many believe in this, this, this prosperity gospel. I'm getting saved so that I can get wealth. Just, just touch the screen and all your problems are going to go away. If you need to be healed, just send $10 and I'll send you this prayer cloth that's been prayed over and all of your problems go away. Get saved so that you get better. You know, if you're a Christian and your Christianity has no sacrifice, you don't have biblical Christianity. Because biblical Christianity has to do with sacrifice. Here, here in this passage of Scripture, you know what I find? He sent everyone to his own house, but then there was a band of men that didn't get to go home. They didn't go home to their wives. They didn't go home to their children. Christian, I believe this. If we're going to be something for God and do see God do great things, you've got to be willing to pay a price. God, I believe this, is looking for a band of men, and he's looking for someone that's willing to sacrifice. The Christian that's willing to do without, the Christian that's willing to sacrifice, the Christian that's willing to go through turmoil, the Christian that's willing to go through problems, the Christian that's willing to say this, I'm going to do this because I've got the, the mind of God on this, I've got the word of God on this, and no matter what sacrifice I have to pay, it's worth it because I know I'm doing what God has called me to do. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me. Paul said this, I die daily. Christians, we need to know that there is a price to pay. I wonder this evening who'd be willing to pay a price. Ezekiel chapter number 24 and verse number 18, he says this, my wife, I, I, I preached in the morning, my wife died in the evening. I'm paraphrasing, but he's, then he says, I went and did the same thing again. Lost his wife, and you know what he was willing to do? Keep, keep preaching. I wonder this evening, what are you doing by faith? And what are you doing by sacrifice? We need Christians that are willing to pay the price. And then lastly, I'm done with this. Write this down. You know what I find here in verse number 26? These men didn't get credit. Their names aren't mentioned. You know what I believe this? A Christian that needs to walk by faith, a Christian that needs to be willing to sacrifice, and also someone that, that doesn't care who gets the credit. They're all anonymous. All we know is that in verse number 26, they were touched by God, and that's all we know. They were nameless. They weren't ladder climbers. There was no infighting. You know what we find? We find just people that said, God, God told me to do it, and I'm going to do it. My name's not written down. When God touches your heart, and God touches a Christian's heart to do a great work for him, they ought to have a place where they don't care who gets the credit as long as God 
gets the glory. There's a high school basketball game. And in the high school locker room, a young player, he made the game-winning shot. Boy, he celebrated. He came into the locker room. He was the all-star. He just made the game-winning shot, and he was somebody. And he was high-fiving, and he was, man, just, just, just eating up all the glory. And the coach said to him this, who passed you the ball? so that you could take a shot. Who passed you the ball so that you could take a shot? He was reminding that young man and reminding that team that that man couldn't have taken a shot if someone wasn't willing to pass the ball. You know, I find here three types of people here in this passage of Scripture. And I wonder this evening, where would you find yourself? There's three types of people I see. Verse number 24, I find this. The Bible says all of them shouted, God save the king. Everybody shouted, yes, God gave us a king. God save the king. But when the king was announced, they went home. You know, I find the first group of people, they follow, and they're all talk. They're all talk. But when it times to work, time to work, they all go home. I want to say, I want input. Great, bring your hammer. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got something I got to do really important over here. Hey, we got to get people to work. Really busy that day. We need people to serve. You know what? I, I love when people tell me what we need to do at the church. I love it. You know what we really need to do? We need to get the guys outside some help in the parking lot. I agree. Wouldn't that be wonderful, brother? I agree. It's going to be 30 degrees next week, but don't worry. We have these really warm yellow coats. So what we'll do is just get you here. If you'll be here at 7.30 next Sunday morning, you know what we'll have? We'll have people working in the parking lot, just like you say. Did you say, you said next Sunday? Yeah, next Sunday. Next Sunday, yeah. I've got something next Sunday. Don't worry, we, we need you next, the following Sunday as well. Yeah, you know, I'm busy on Sundays. Yeah, I'm busy. You know what we need? In our youth group, we need more workers. You know, we need more workers, right? Why don't you come next Wednesday evening and help? What I meant was, you know, somebody else. There's all kinds of people that always, they always have what we need. But they're never around when it comes to help. Secondly, you know what I find here? In verse number 27. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. You know what I find in verse number 27, the second group of people? Those that oppose the will of God and constantly complain. Those that oppose the will of God constantly complain. There's a group that said, God save the king. Let's get to work. I'm going home. There's a group that says, I don't like the king. 
and I don't think he can do his job. What about God calling the king and equipping the king? Then you know what? There's a third group of people. That third group of people we find in verse number 26. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men. You know what I find, the third group of men? These are one that said, if that's what he wants, then that's what I'm going to work toward. If that's what God wants, then that's what I'm going to work toward. They knew they have no idea what a king looks like and what a king does. They knew they didn't know how to help the king because they'd never helped a king before. But that's exactly what Noah said. Noah said, if that's what you want, then that's what I'm going to work toward. You want an ark? All right. I'm going to find me some gopher wood. Abraham said, if that's what you want, I'm going to leave Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know where I'm going. I'll go. The disciples said, if that's what you want, we'll give up fishing and, and we'll follow you, but we're not sure what that looks like. The deacons in the early church said, all right, if you need deacons, okay, but we don't know how to deacon. And these men here said, you know what? You need us to be a band of men, we'll be the band. And we'll just work toward what God says. You see, God, I believe, is always looking. He's always looking. He's always searching. He's always in need of somebody trusting his word and stepping out by faith. You can be one that's talk and no action. You can be one that complains and, and criticizes. Or you can be one that says, I can work toward that. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but I want to obey the Word of God.